like for us to turn to uh, the book of Revelation and reading from chapter 21 and verse uh, 9 through to chapter 27. Revelation 21, beginning to read at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third Chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, sixth Sardius, and seventh Crystallite, eighth Beryl, ninth Topaz, tenth Chrysippus, and eleventh Jacinth, and twelfth Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the city and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
but there shall by no means enter, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So far the reading of God's word. Dear people of God, God it takes great care to bring comfort to his people. He wants us to enjoy what it is that he has accomplished for us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us not to be in doubt, but to be sure, to be steadfast. In fact, he gave promises to Abraham, you remember, redemptive promises so that Abraham would have an anchor for the soul. And why did he need an anchor for the soul? Because in this life, we get tossed around, here, there, and everywhere. Life challenges us. Brings great stress, great confusion at times, great pain at times. And it is like being in a storm. And those things scare us. It did the disciples... They said to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you care that we perish? I mean, he's right there with them, and they're asking, don't you care that we perish? They needed comfort. They needed an anchor for the soul. And it doesn't matter what theological heritage we have, how good we are in terms of doctrine and understanding the doctrines of grace. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be tossed around, that you don't need an anchor, You don't need comfort. We do. We absolutely do. And in the light of life itself, that that God blesses us, and we have so many years that God God, uh, gives us things to enjoy, work to do, but then in the end, death approaches. That is a challenge. Challenge for those for whom it gets closer and closer, and a challenge for those, the loved ones, our friends. And it burdens our hearts. And death is something that is a struggle. And people do struggle with it. Christians too. And so God's word is not silent about those things. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about that, the victory over death, the resurrection. And it's very important that we understand that, very important that that we take that to heart. Certainly the Apostle Paul sees it as very practical, and so he's telling them all of these things so that they might be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labors are not in vain. But they needed that assurance. They needed that comfort, that hope, that though their lives would be lost in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, yet it wasn't the end. It isn't defeat. And they weren't going to allow those thoughts to dampen their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we need that. But not only in terms of our approaching a death, 
but also just in the burdens of life, the pain and the suffering, the disease, as we live in this fallen world. I mean, there's so many heartbreaks that we have. We all have. No one is immune to those things. So how is it that we deal with them? Well, Paul again speaks uh, in terms of Romans 8. We have this hope. We have this expectation. And we yearn for it. Yearn for the promises that God has made, that they would become a reality. And he promises us that it will become a reality. No, he does work all things for good. And though we do suffer, we do struggle, but nevertheless, it has a glorious end. And we can't take our eyes off that end. We can't ignore it. We can't just put it away into the future. No, it has to have a present effect on your life and my life. That's, it. That's what's going to bear us through those difficult times. And you know that as well as I do. Because if we talk with one another and share that pain and sorrow, then it is good to see that God's Word does help us. It helps us the most, through the most difficult and painful times. And so it's important that we have that. And Peter says that, right? Peter, in Second Peter, he says, we ought to hasten, not just look forward to it, not yearn for it, but we must hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christians know that, of course. We know that intellectually. But even this, this past week, we had a, um, a member had knee replacement surgery. And so he was joking as he was talking to me. He says, uh, and he was concerned about that he would have to be on his back and he thought he would choke and, you know, the, the doctors would know that. And I said, no, I'm, I'm sure they've they know how to deal with that. So relax, you know, everything will go fine. But he was joking. He says, you know, he says, um, you know, I'm concerned about that because, you know, I know there's heaven, but I'm not eager to go there. In other words, I'm not ready to go yet. And, and we hear that, don't we? I mean, people say that. So what do they mean by that? That intellectually they know that God has prepared a place for us. But we are tied to this world. And we think we have so many things that we want to see and, and experience before we do that. It's like everything, that, once we've done everything, okay, then we'll go to heaven. Rather than, heaven is a glorious place God has prepared for us. And the Lord Jesus Christ encouraged his disciples when he said he was going away. They were so sad. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, that where I am there ye may be also. That was comforting words to them. Not, oh no, we're going to have to leave this earth. No, that was comforting for them. And so it's, it's very practical that we that we think about heaven. It's not escapism. It's not that, oh, you know, we're, we're talking about escapism here. We're not. But, but it has 
practical impact on the way that you live and the struggles that you face and the struggles that we share with one another. So I'd just like to draw your attention to this chapter, um, kind of go to the end. We did a whole series in Revelation, so this was towards the end. Um, but I thought it appropriate that we look at that. So this passage, first of all, just to focus our minds on the fact that we have an eternal residence. We have an eternal residence in heaven. It is kind of, obviously, when you read this and also chapter 22, it is symbolically represented. Right? So, so we don't have such clarity about the details of heaven. Maybe that's what kind of um, makes us uh, desirous more of earth than heaven because we don't know so much about it in detail. And even though we have these images, and even though even the Apostle Paul, right, was taken up uh, into heaven, still we're not given the details. And, 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 and I think for this reason, that when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples and taught them various things, so often he said to them, don't tell anyone. And you think, well, wait a minute, why not? Shouldn't they know? It's because they didn't have the whole picture. And if they just went around saying, well, he's a healer, he's a healer, he's a healer, it would detract from the purposes of Christ. And then, so they didn't have the full picture. They had to wait. Even in, even in terms of telling them about the resurrection, they had to wait until they saw the whole picture. And it seems to me that's the case here too, that we have it in symbols because we would get it all wrong. Right? We, would, we would come up with all people do anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've read, read books from people that, you know, they've been to heaven and this is the way it is. I mean, no, we would get it wrong. But enough is given. Enough is given to calm our hearts and to fill them with eager expectation. They are in terms of negative language. There's no more sin. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. And there's no more death. Well, when it comes to those things, negatives are pretty good. I don't mind those things, do you? I mean, those things speak to us, don't they? Because it's those things that causes all of the unrest in our life. It's the struggle that we have with sin. It's those sorrows that burden our hearts and our minds, that cause tears to flow, and pain, and death itself. Those are not minor things. To be done with those things is a great thing, isn't it? And he, if God took all of those things from this life, I mean, it would be even worse. Nobody would want to go to heaven. We would really be satisfied here. So, so they do speak, even though they're in terms of negative uh, descriptions. There is no sin, no darkness, 
That's the way we talk about God too, in negative terms. So they do bring a message to us, even though they're negatives. I mean, don't we yearn for the day that we won't sin? I mean, how much God has done for us, and how much we love Him, and yet we continue to fall. And how disappointed we are that we've disappointed Him. But think of that day when we will not sin. And God will be honored in the way that He ought to be honored. As we reflect His wonderful righteousness uh, in our lives. But it's also symbolic. Talks about the sea of glass, gates of pearls, crowns, streets of gold. Again, I, I, once I preach this and somebody says, you know, I, I really don't find streets of gold kind of exciting. <laughs> so, again, it's symbolic. It's talking about the lavishness of what God has prepared for us. Not that we're going to have streets of gold. I mean, Revelation is very symbolic, isn't it? But we certainly, as somebody said, you know, somebody arrived to heaven and they bought a gold, you know, brick. And Peter says, um, paving stones? In other words, you bought paving stones to heaven? No, absolutely not. Heaven is absolutely beyond our wildest expectations. And anything that you have on this earth and you value and you think it's so precious, it's got nothing on heaven. You don't have to take anything from here. You don't have to say, oh, I'm leaving this behind. It would be so great if I could take it along. No, we absolutely don't need anything. I mean, just look at the way that the city of God is described. I mean, in a sense, it's like the temple, isn't it? Describing the temple. That, that, that was a, a picture of heaven itself, God's, God's a house. And how people marveled as they looked at it, as the disciples did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at these thick walls. Look what stability and, and defenses we have. But it's nothing in comparison to the reality. We have these gates, single pearls, and there's angels there. I mean, talk about security system. Nowhere we can relax. Where there's no dangers at all. No needs whatsoever. But another aspect that people kind of sometimes get concerned about, and that is when they describe heaven as spiritual, and they think that's opposed to physical. And they get all panicky because we're used to physical flesh and blood, and, and we think, how will we enjoy just being spirits? But again, it's, it's, it's not that there's no, I mean, how can we even speak about that it's not physical when the Lord Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead? Physically ascended into heaven. 
So it's not that we're not going to have human nature. It's not that we're not going to be physical. But the thing is that we're going to be spiritual. It's going to be perfect. Not like we are down here. But perfected. That's something that we need to look forward to and be thankful for. Sometimes we think about the earth too. We think, oh, you know, the earth is destroyed. But, but the scriptures don't say that. The scriptures speak about a new heaven and a new earth. Without the struggles that we see in it. No, it's not a destruction of the earth, but rather a purification of it. Just like with us. We're not destroyed, we're renewed. Not destroyed. So any concerns that we have in terms of, oh, you know, how, how are we going to exist in heaven, you know? Um, it, in what environment are we going to live? And we get all, I don't know, maybe you don't. Uh, but others, others think about those things. Sometimes I remind them, I say, look, when God took up his abode with us the first time in the Garden of Eden, was it physical? Yes. It was such a wonderful environment that even when Adam and Eve sinned and were expelled from the Garden, there were angels to stop them going back in. I mean, that's how wonderful it was. God expected that they would want to go back in, and he wanted them to, not to go back in because of redemptive plan that he had. But that's how they looked at it. They wanted to be back there. No, we ought to have no worries. God knows exactly what we need. I mean, after all, this sinful world in which we live, as I already uh, said, uh, that we are reluctant to leave this world. We know that there's a wonderful place, but we're reluctant to leave this world. This sin-stained world. And yet, we can still enjoy it. Well, imagine heaven. Imagine what God has prepared for us. God knows exactly what you need. So we don't have to worry about it at all. It ought not to weigh on our minds, except in a positive way. That is, to be with him. To be in his presence. To look upon him and to give him all the, all the praise and all the glory that is due to him for all that he has done for us. People of God, God has it in hand. But also in terms of relationships, we have eternal relationships as a corporate family of God. All the images of God's people in heaven is exactly that, that they're one, that they are a family, the great assembly. What a wonderful truth that is, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's no distinction between us. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. A perfect unity that we will enjoy. And it's already indicated in Ephesians. 
chapter 2 and verses 14 and 19. All the divisions that we have here, we will not have in heaven. We will be one in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see each other as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. We need to be careful that we don't divide the church. Because we're going to be one in heaven. And we need to learn, even with all the struggles that we have and the differences that there are, that we don't fail to see our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ and no national boundaries that we put up within the church. No, from every tribe, from every nation, we will be one. But of course, one of the biggest burdens, of course, that the people have is that we have questions about unbelieving relatives. And that is difficult, isn't it? That is painful. We can't bear the thought. And it happens in our own families. It happens in our own communities, our acquaintances. And when we think about heaven and all the wonderful things that God has promised us, and the alternative, of, uh, of course, then that burden ought to spur us to sharing the gospel in every which way we can. And not simply in terms of objectively sharing the gospel, but passionately from the heart. The love of God constrains us, says Paul. Because we know what's coming. We don't rescue somebody in that their life is threatened in a very cold and detached way, do we? No, we're fully engaged. With all of our senses, we're fully engaged because we know how dangerous it is and how they need to listen to what we're saying and to escape the danger that lies ahead of them. Knowing about heaven and how glorious it is. And the alternative ought to put an urgency into our hearts in sharing the gospel, even to our enemies. Thinking about those things, as they say, and we should say, we would never wish that on our worst enemy. We want them to hear the gospel. We want them to believe. We don't want them to perish. We want them to have eternal life. And whatever it is that they have done, we still want them to be saved. But if we don't have that sense of heaven and how wonderful it is, then there won't be that urgency. You know, people of God, people need to hear the gospel and our relatives. I mean, if we don't do it to our relatives, as Paul says, who are we going to do it to? 
If we can't be moved to helping our relatives in an earthly way, how much more do you think Paul is going to say in terms of their spiritual needs? If we can't reach out to them, persuade them, so that they can see in terms of what we say and how we're saying it, how passionately we care for them, then who are we going to say? Really? You think they're going to take that f- f- uh, and take it seriously when we don't do it to our relatives, when we don't do it to our friends? Then it's just a job. We're not doing it from the heart. No, people have, you have friends. You can't stop thinking about because so much is at stake. And so rather than dwelling on that fact of, you know, thinking about, oh, when I'll be in heaven and some of my relatives will be there. No, start sharing the gospel. And as to the heartbreak of that situation, all I can say is that God will sustain. God will sustain us. I don't know how to describe that. I don't know how that's going to happen. I do know that he's going to so work in our hearts and minds that when he says to people, depart from me, evil workers, that I didn't know you, somehow by God's grace, we will stand in full agreement with that. When we realize how they have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, how they've treated him, and the sin that they have done, and how they've disobeyed God, then we will not say, oh Lord, but don't be so harsh. And there are, there are people like that, There are theologians that deny the existence of hell because they just can't bring themselves around to believing it. Just because they can't understand it, they want to change the Word of God that is so clear as far as that is concerned. No, we ought not to be in that category. We ought to leave it to our God that He will take care of our sorrows. He will wipe every tear away. But we have hope. We have time. And so we need to bring that message to them. And we're going to be a family. One family. You know, one guy said to me once, he said, you know, his wife uh, sadly uh, passed away. And he was, and, sh- and, sh- and she jokingly, before she passed away, said, yeah, she says, um, yeah, when I see you in heaven, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a wink. Like, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to this, and then, and then so he says, you know, after she died, so he, he said that to me. He said, yeah, that kind of bothers me, he says, about, you know, here we were married, and now we're going to be in heaven, and of course in heaven there is no giving or taking in marriage, and he was, I, I guess his mind was, you know, concerned about that. So I thought, well, you know, how can I help him? And so I said this to him. I said, look, in heaven, 
the relationships that we have with all God's people are going to far excel any intimate relationship we have on this earth. In other words, the quality of our relationships is going to far excel anything that you had down here. So what, what relationship you had with your wife is going to be way improved there. But it's going to be that with everyone. And he kind of looked at me. And he said, well, that works for me. <laughs> that we're going to have this relationship with everyone. All of God's people. And so we shouldn't be afraid that something, we're going to miss something. We're going to be, um, not have it as good as it were here. We absolutely will. Absolutely will. And so we don't have to worry about that at all. One happy family, united, multinational. I mean, it's like, it's like I'll be visiting Wallenport day after day after day and now going to another place and visiting them and going to another place and visiting them. I mean, it's going to be just endlessly an absolutely glorious place. I mean, I have that now. I go to England and it, you know, I know it's a saying, but I'm in heaven. You see friends, you see Christian friends from years and years ago, and they're walking with the Lord, and we, we have that unity with them. And here too, and other places as well. Well, imagine the whole world is filled with people, and those places are just like that. We're satisfied for eternity. No, it is a wonderful place. And here in this, in this world, we have reflections of that. As I've, as I've indicated, you have places, you have people that you're just happy to be in their presence, happy to see them. Well, that's what it's going to be. And how many are there already? And we look forward to seeing them. And finally, there is the eternal responsibility. You know, sometimes people get also concerns or worries or, what are we going to do? I mean, for eternity, what are we going to do? The kind of lurking thought is, we're going to get bored. You know, after years and years, we're going to think, that's it. This is it. But perish that thought. Perish that thought. We're going to have this enjoyable experience, an environment to be with God, to finally have our souls rest in Him. No more worries, no more concerns. No more rushed off our feet. No more having burdens that weigh us down and worries that weigh us down in life. We have none of that. Just resting in the Lord Jesus Christ of which the Sabbath is a foretaste. It's a good idea for us to really work on enjoying the Sabbath. Because heaven is our eternal Sabbath. 
And if the Sabbath for you is an interruption of enjoyment, then there's something seriously wrong. Something seriously wrong. Then we need to fix our minds on things above. And this foretaste ought to be wetting our appetite and making it more and more desirable for us to enter into it, uh, to the reality, reality of it. It's not that we're going to be idle. I mean, our God is a God that works. He works all the time. So it's not that we're not going to be doing anything. Don't worry about that. No, we will be, we'll have enjoyment as we serve Him, as we glorify Him, as we fellowship with one another. We're not bored down here, are we? The way God has created this world, as I said, even though it's fallen, yet we find ourselves busy. And even though we get old, we don't mind another year and another two years. God knows how to occupy us. Now God knows how to take care of us in his world, in heaven. We'll worship him, we'll see him, look upon him. And just be, have our hearts melt with adoration and praise and thankfulness. We also care, uh, have the task of taking care of the creation. After all, it speaks about a new heaven and a new earth. That's the way it was when he first created this earth. They were to take care of it. They were to tend to it. That they would glorify God, the creator. There's nothing in the scriptures that suggests that's not going to be the case. A new heaven and a new earth. Enjoying it. Taking care of it. People of God, let's not have any worries about the suitability of heaven to us. God knows exactly what we need. He satisfies us, body and soul. And he's going to do that for eternity in heaven. And we will be with God's people. And we need that hope. We need to have that fixed in our hearts and minds. Not that we want to escape this world and say, oh, no, I'm, I'm fed up of this, I want to go. No. No, absolutely not. But there's no worry in our mind. Whenever the Lord calls us into heaven, I can assure you, the moment you open your eyes, you will be absolutely amazed. And any worries and concerns you had will evaporate in an instant. People of God, let this glorious hope that God has given to us and Christ spoke to his disciples about. And Peter said we ought to hasten. We, have, we need to pray for that. We need to look for that. Because they know how wonderful it is. And so the Christians suffering in the New Testament, all of this persecution, and John brings this into their view. No wonder they turn the world upside down with the gospel. People of God, have this before your eyes as we go into this week.
to glorify and honor him because everything that we need has already been provided for and we are in his hands. Amen. Well, let's